Hello, what's this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Paxson. We're talking all things sports in Salford. We hope you're having a great festive season. Uh, this show is a highlights package of the best interviews we've had uh, throughout the year. This first interview is with Robbie Savage, the BBC correspondent and ex-Leicester City midfielder. Talk to Jane Sweeten about the World Cup in Quatawa and uh, how Wales was going to go on. Enjoy. So, Robbie, I'm sure all our listeners will be exceptionally excited to hear about all your opinions on the World Cup. But first, it's important to kick off with everything you're doing around grassroots football. Can you tell us a little bit about your Proud to Pitching ambassador role? Yeah, so Green King um, came to me with the Proud to Pitching campaign because what they're doing is they've offered grants out um, to grassroots clubs, you know, up to £3,000, which 19,000 beneficiaries already have used. It um, on this occasion, it's a ten thousand pound one-off grant to any grassroots club. You know whether you know that's football, rugby, whatever. We've got um, you know an example of Zumbarets who are who are taking up of of the the, the grants. Um, so it just doesn't have to be you know football. It can be be anything. And I just think that this campaign allows grassroots clubs to especially in the in the current you know cost of living crisis petrol prices you know energy prices you know to you know access this fund to to enable them to improve their facilities match kit you know whatever they utilize the fund for and i just think the green king you know people can help if they go into a green king pub and buy a pint of green king ipa 10 pence of that goes to the fund so it's it's a great initiative um it's a positive initiative which which enables grassroots clubs to to have support i mean it is so important because we often forget about the grassroots game when we think of the glamour of the world cup the glamour of the european championships in the premier league but without the grassroots game none of this would be possible no it isn't and i came through grassroots my two sons came through grassroots so it is invaluable to people not just in terms of the physical aspects but the mental side of you know of getting out in that fresh air meeting new friends building friendships so I think it's it's invaluable to you know long lasting friendships as well. You know when I um, played at grassroots level, you know I've still got the friends now. So it is yeah, it's it's a great initiative. I mean, only six percent of clubs receive enough funding for their training facilities, pitch maintenance, and stuff like that. And hopefully this initiative can change all of that. Yeah, uh, undoubtedly because we, I've seen you know first hand experience of when Macclesfield have gone to you know to grounds, you know the damage caused, you know whether it's ripping seats out, you know. And motorbikes on pitches, break-ins um, to 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 the equipment room. So again, as as you rightly say, it's you know every single penny that um, Green King are generating towards facilities or whatever it may be is is invaluable. I mean, the Lioness has had so much success over the summer. They've inspired a new generation coming through. Approximately thirty percent of new girls are taking up the sport, and it's integral now that the grassroots football continues to develop because we've got a completely new wave of people coming through, and we're dealing with a new market. Yeah, um, I've seen that firsthand at Macclesfield where. You know, our, our girls' academy has gone from 30 to 130 and our, our women's first team, you know, we're getting 15 to 20 fans in through the door last season. They're now, you know, averaging nearly 200. Um, so, again, the the uptaking participation has gone up, as you say, by 30%, which is which is fantastic. And again, role models have been created. Ella Toon being a great example, that, you know, one of our first team players is the boyfriend of Ella. Um, and when she comes in to watch us, you know, the amount of photos she has with 
you know, all generations of families, boys and girls, is is fantastic to see. I can imagine it is, because in this game we've got now, there's football at so many different levels. You've got these women bringing in a new market. You've got lads who've been doing it their entire lives, not like yourself who've made it to the highest echelons, but people who enjoy just playing a game on a Sunday, Sunday league football, a kickabout with their friends. But a lot of them are giving up now amid the cost of living crisis. We're living in a very difficult climate, and hopefully all this will change that. And these people who enjoy the physical, and mental benefits you say of going out and kicking a ball around they continue to do so yeah when we talk about grassroots sport we're not, you know we're not just talking about you know youngsters we're talking about walking football this this grant is accessible to you know for walking football teams as well we have that on Macclesfield as well where a friend of mine who, who commentates with me Ian Dark he plays walking football and he said the, the mental benefits as well you know really really helps so this campaign proud to pitch in is is for all it's not just for you know um, when people think about grassroots they automatically think about youngsters and you know obviously this this proud to pitch in campaign is obviously for over 18s because of you know the you know it's alcohol and um, it can be you know accessed from as you say you know lots and lots of different um, clubs whether it's cricket rugby all football and as I've said, you know, the walking football is now massive, massive participation in, in walking football. Have you ever tried it? I've personally never tried walking football, it's, but I'm sure it, when, uh, I, when I get older, yeah. I'll be more than willing to give it's it a go. It's difficult, it's difficult because you just, you just want to run. <laughs> Have you found yourself adapting to the walking football game, Robbie? You're not quite yeah, ready yet. Oh, to be fair, a lot, years, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people said I, I, I've done that when I actually did play. Um, but, you know, for me, I just want to start running and, and smash somebody in a tackle. But you can't. You can't get that momentum to, to go and smash somebody. So it's not really for me. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine a lot of players like yourself, maybe Paul Skulls and players of that <laughs> ilk, who really get stuck in, might struggle. Maybe yeah. Dimitar Berbatov or somebody like that might excel at walking. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, moving on now to the World Cup, which of course wouldn't be happening without schemes like this and keeping the grassroots uh, route going. However, England versus Wales, it's probably the best place to start off. They're both kicking off their campaigns against the USA and Iran, respectively. We're expecting them both to pick up wins there. Then they'll be taking on each other. How do you foresee that game going? Well, England will start favourites, undoubtedly, because you look at the 26-man squad Gareth Southgate has chosen. I think um, if he has his first 11, um, the, the remaining 15, he could create a team out of that to beat Wales. There's no doubt about that. The pool of players they have to choose from is exceptional, um, world-class players. And you look at Wales, you know, six years ago at the Euros when we got to the semi-final, top the group, we had players playing probably at the pinnacle of their of their of their careers. And now six years on, you know, players have played less football, picked up more injuries. So we're going into a tournament where players probably haven't played as much football as they would they would have liked. When you've got Michael Sheen with speeches like he's doing behind us, when you've got the camaraderie, the togetherness, the unity within a squad, when they pull on that red shirt, Gareth Bear and Ramsey have superpowers. You know, it's it's we'll have a chance. We'll have a chance. But you know, you talk about the first game. I, I wouldn't say, you know, in the rankings, Iran are one place behind Wales, USA and England are above us. So it's a difficult, difficult group. And I think people will be looking at Wales and going back to that Euros and thinking, is it the same Wales team? It's it's probably the majority of the same players, but in terms of game time and where they are in their careers, it's a slightly different squad. So I think it will be difficult to get out of the group, but 
when Wales, England, you know, anything can happen. It most certainly can because there's so much rivalry there. As you mentioned that European Championships, I remember about the time Gareth Bale was hitting the headlines for his comments about wanting to beat England, putting a bit of needle in there and everybody likes to see it. We see it so often in boxing, in sports like that, but football, it's great when we see those rivalries and players who are so passionate and really want to get the job done. Six years removed from that, is the fire still burned for Wales just as much as it was then? Yeah, of course it is. And listen, I, I'm sure we've seen the celebrations on, on, on social media when, was it England lost to Iceland, I think it was. And so there will be a, lots of rivalry there. I think Gareth Bale can show the England lads this is four or five Chapman's League medals. So I think we'll be fine. I mean, you mentioned there that Iceland game, a particularly painful day for me. I imagine a particularly joyful day for yourself. But England obviously losing that one. We've got teams in the group, Iran, USA. Do you think either of them bring up sets over Wales and England? I think Iran have got some good players. I think USA have got lots of players who play in Europe. I think it's going to be difficult. I really do. I think England will be fine. Although, you know, after that Iceland defeat, anything is possible. But, you know, I think if Wales don't do well in it, I'd love to see England go far because again representing the Premier League it's it's the best league in the world I have friends who who play in, in the in the squad so you know I'd love to see and Gareth Southgate listen whether he's picked the right squad or not he's a nice guy a humble guy and it would be nice you know because they've had lots of criticism going into the tournament you know the, the 4-0 defeat against Hungary you know the way they've played so they're not going in to the tournament with great form. I know they got a 3-3 draw um, against Germany, but um, I think minimum requirement for this Gareth Southgate group is semi-finals. I think anything else other than that for England will be seen as a failure. When we look at England over the past few years, Gareth Southgate, he's done an excellent job getting us to a semi-final and a final respectively. Ultimately, we lost that penalty shootout to Italy, but there was still a lot to take from that. However, in the build-up to this competition, we've been struggling. So is that just a bump in the road or is this something we need to be seriously worried about? Well, you know, on 6 or 6, I do with Chris Sutton, there was a big debate. I think that England will never have a better chance of winning a major tournament. You know, most of the games were at home in that Euros. Um, the final was at home. An Italy side who haven't qualified for this World Cup, probably one of the best squads England's disposal yet they didn't win it so I think that was an amazing opportunity missed you know you've we've now seen the success of the Lionesses who did win it and role models created so I think that this occasion the form's not been good but you look at the quality of player they have you look at the success of Premier League teams in in the Champions League that this group is more than capable of 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 winning it it's how they're guided and how they play under pressure I know the media will be you know all over it and the, the negativity that comes with an England defeat you know I, I experienced that on on Fornings I do pressures on England but again I think they've got a group who can go far in the tournament that Lionesses victory as you mentioned does that give them inspiration or does it pile on the pressure I think it'll give them inspiration no doubt about it I think um, the role models created within that England group you know we're seeing you know Ella Toon we see, you know, Jill Scott, who's currently in the jungle, how well they've done. You know, Gareth Southgate and the group can take inspiration from the success and the way the nation got behind them. So, 
it's going to be a fascinating watch. Um, I'm really looking forward to it, but um, it's going to be a difficult group for Wales, I think. If I was just going to give you an option of giving me one name, who would you hit me with? To win it. To win it, yeah. Brazil. Interesting pick. The last question today, Robbie, thank you for giving some time with me. It's been an absolute pleasure talking the World Cup, everything you're doing with Proud to Pitch, and a bit of walking football as well with Paul Scholes and Dimitar Berbatov. But the main question I want to ask you, your son, he's doing so well at the moment with Manchester United, with Wales in the under-21s. Is he looking at this tournament right now and thinking, in four years' time, I could be there? Of course he is. There's no doubt about that because we talk about role models. You know, he'll be watching this on the TV. Robert Page spoke to him last week um, to tell him how well he was doing, which is great. You know, a lone move for Charlie in January would be fantastic um, to go and see what it's like playing in front of big crowds on a weekly basis. Um, but again, he'll be watching that and he'll be like a sponge soaking it all in, watching it, watching how, you know, what he's done at Manchester United, watching how players act, watching how they are on and off the pitch. Um, he's been with the first team in pre-season, you know, and obviously done very well. So it, it'd be his fuel to see these players and thinking, do you know, what? I want a piece of that. And if he can, if he can, you know, play for Wales once, it'll be an amazing achievement. He's doing well. He's got to keep that fire burn inside him to be better every single day to 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 watch people to see the way they conduct themselves and 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 try and be in any Wales squad in the future will be a huge you know a huge success for the youngster but he's doing well listen he's a great kid I'm proud of him and and he's proud to represent his country under 21 level and if he can go that one step further uh, and play for the first team you know he can be really proud well thank you for joining me Robbie it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you Salford Devils earlier in the season announced that they had a link up Red Star Belgrade Rugby League I spoke to the Vice Chairman and Red Star Belgrade player Ned Adzicic about Red Star Belgrade Rugby League and Serbian Rugby League and this is what I had to say Oh, well, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, hello uh, to you and your fans. Yeah, I think we'll have a nice chat today. So, tell us all about your club. Well, we are Red Star Belgrade Rugby League Club. Uh, we are active and uh, defending and active champions of Serbia and the Balkans. The uh, club was uh, formed way back in the 1955. It competed for a couple of seasons and then uh, stopped competing. And it was reactivated in 2006. And since then, it was competing in Serbian uh, Serbian Cup, Serbian uh, Championship. Uh, we started winning uh, in around 2015-14, and uh, we made a streak uh, of uh, six uh, national trophies, nation, national championship uh, titles, let's say it like that, in 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022. And uh, we hope we, we will continue winning. But let's say that actually we cl- climbed to the top around 2017 and we stayed there we have a a women's team we have junior academy selections that's pretty much it our season starts in uh, january end of january beginning of february and it ends in october what's it like being the most successful club in in serbia with all them trophies well uh it's it's a nice it's a nice feeling to be honest nice bit of information is that before red star uh, became champions the uh, dorchel spiders were the uh, club who holds the world record for the consecutive titles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's around uh, 15 or 16 years in a row they were undefeated. And, well, we were uh, 
playing against them. I remember when I came to Red Star, uh, they were winning uh, every finals, but then we we climbed up on the top. It's uh, it's good. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to lead by example and uh, to uh, you know to to be at uh, the axis of developing rugby league in the Balkans because we really we strongly believe that w- without strong competition here in Balkans, those trophies uh, wouldn't mean uh, mean a lot. What's the rugby like in Serbia? Obviously, how many teams are in your division and and how's the format work? So I'll, I'll start actually as a player. Okay. Uh, as a player, I can say that rugby in Serbia is a bit tougher than what I had experienced playing abroad, but slower. So uh, usually, when we play against English or French sides, uh, we we can um, hold them physically, but uh, their faster uh, pace of play uh, uh, create problems for us. Uh, regarding the competition here in Serbia, we have a competition of six clubs. Dorchal Tigers, Partizan Belgrade, Radnički Belgrade, Radnički Niš. Uh, actually, it's more, it's eight clubs, I think. In the first division, uh, the uh, Gepardi Leskovac, uh, Zemun uh, and uh, Harry Pollitt, and I think I missed one club. I will remember during the uh, during the show. Uh, we have two tiers of that of that division. Okay. Uh, uh, the upper one is played by uh, Dorchol, Partizan, Red Star, and Radnički Niš. That's pretty much regarding uh, uh, rugby in Serbia. It's post COVID, so we have far less clubs that we have before COVID. Some of the clubs were really hit strong by uh, by COVID, and uh, the highest number of clubs I think was in uh, 2016 when there was 18 clubs in three divisions. Right. So it's obviously the aim is to kind of grow the, sp- the, the sport sort of back to that kind of uh, numbers. Hopefully now sort of COVID has, has subsided a little bit. Uh, actually, yes. Th- yes, that's, that's an idea. But the thing is that right now, this is my personal opinion. Yeah. Uh, the rugby league in Serbia lacks human resources, mm-hmm. not in a way of having players, but in a way of having workers in sport. Because when COVID struck, a lot of them left for other uh, opportunities, and uh, that's kind of a choke point. But we we're working really hard on developing that, and uh, we created a Red Star B team. The B team here in Serbia is a good. Uh, I think it's in England like that too. Um, it's for beginners. Mm-hmm. For the players who are not ready for the first team, and for the veterans who are uh, slowing down their career, and of course the juniors who are getting tougher, toughened by playing in senior division, but on a lower level, like in second division, and that uh, that really helps us. And um, yes, goal is definitely to expand the number of clubs, and also the quantity will develop a quality. You, you share your name with a famous uh, football club. Are they supportive of of, of the rugby league club? Yes. We are uh, part of Red Star Sporting Society. Red Star Sport- Sporting Society is the biggest uh, sporting society here in the Balkans. It has around uh, 20, 28 or 30 clubs of, of different sports. Football club is definitely supporting the sporting society as a whole concept. They've even shared the, the location here in Belgrade. So where, where is the football field? There is uh, also a sporting society building and uh, Zvezda TV, which is the television of the football club, who is now which is now open for all the sports for uh, to broadcast games and to discuss go on shows. They have they have a marketing department uh, creating a newsletter. It uh, it looks like this. It's called Zvezdina Revia and. Uh, in, in that sense, they are supportive. 
uh, we're now working on uh, moving our office buildings to the Sporting Society building to have everything in one place. The new Secretary General of Sporting Society, Zoran Avramovic, is working really hard on enhancing the cooperation between the clubs in, in Sporting Society, and we fully support that. Have you seen a crossover of fans from the football club to come and watch the rugby? Uh, well, Red Star is a really big brand, mm-hmm. and there is there are players who there there are fans who love uh, Red Star as a concept, and even they they don't know the rules of rugby or they're not interested in that. When there is some big win or some big event, they are they always follow it, uh, and uh, we we actually seen the. A lot of our fans on Facebook is uh, are people who generally like Red Star. Is the sport growing in Serbia, the sport of rugby league? The sport of rugby league? Uh, I think that the best example is the Balkan Super League as a competition uh-huh. because that competition had uh, clubs from eight countries in 2019 before COVID. So what we actually had is Italy, Bosnia, Montenegro, Albania, Bulgaria, Greece and Turkey. Eight countries. Uh-huh. And then... in. In the COVID, immediately after COVID, there were there was only three clubs from two countries, and now we are having uh, this season of Balkan Super League had clubs from uh, Turkey, Greece, Serbia, Albania, Montenegro, and Bulgaria. So it's not really it's it's not really back where it was be, uh, before COVID, but it's growing. How would you like the the European club competition to grow me myself personally uh, I ran for uh, European uh, Rugby League Federation Board of Directors uh, on a platform game needs to develop uh, in the mainland Europe uh, sadly our sport is much generally played in the northern England and a bit a couple of clubs in France and that's something uh, that I, I personally really believe uh, that would uh, that would change I didn't win those elections, uh, good or one uh, from Turkey, and he's doing a, a really good job. Shout out to him! And uh, the European cha- uh, Club Championship is, is something that uh, Red Star is fully supporting and working on on on, uh, on developing it. Because uh, when the Balkan Super League was on its highest, with competition ranging from Italy to Turkey, there were clubs from the rest of Europe who were interested in participating, although they were not from the. Balkans but financial and logistical nightmare was to organize that and I think that the idea of European club competition should come uh, should be supported from the from the UK and I think that uh, there is uh, there is market for that and I think it could be really interesting and it, it would benefit all the parties yeah for the sport to grow we all need to work together to promote the product and, and that hopefully people will start realizing that it's not all about the big clubs it's about everybody i agree with that so how do you think you close the gap between sort of english super league and what you're sort of playing now because obviously like you said you're at different sort of stages of development in, in rugby league aren't we so how do you manage to close the gap do you think that's actually a good question the thing is that uh, method there is different methodology one is that uh, clubs in uh, mainland europe for example red star uh, bring in 10 players from australia and england mm. and then straight up go and compete in uh, challenge cup and super league or, or or french competition i don't think that that is really a good way of, pro- of, of progression the good thing is that uh, uh, small clubs start competing against uh, uh, smaller clubs in mainland Europe, start competing against each other. Uh, so creating, uh, uh, expanding the format of Balkan Super League to uh, to include 
all, all the rugby league clubs that want to participate. It's something where we can start from. There is a good practice here in, in the Balkans that uh, clubs try to bring one or two foreign players because know-how is a bit one of the problems, really, uh, at these stages, uh, at these areas, because when play, players and clubs reach some level of, of play, uh, they need uh, experts from abroad to help them develop the, their, their game. We had Eddie Pettiborn and Phil Economides here in Red Star. Brad Davidson was also coaching the uh, Red Star and the national team. There are a couple of uh, foreign players in Lokomotiv Sofia and uh, that that level of uh, develop. I think that can that can bring uh, uh, that can increase the level of game here in Serbia. I played. Um, it's not it's not really generally rugby league, but it was a beach rugby beach rugby league uh, tournament in Istanbul uh, for a couple of years, and uh, we can see there that there are clubs who are interested in in, in playing. Also, uh, there are countries that have um, uh, like Turkey that have a have a have a huge potential. They need to to work on. Uh, Massing their sport, and I think that's through European club competition uh, and through importing, so to say, experts, rugby league experts. Uh, they, uh, it can uh, it can close the gap. But um, what I saw when I was in Melum, when we played uh, in Challenge Cup, I saw the rugby league community, and I I saw the children up from age of seven playing, uh, getting. Uh, introduced to rugby league and training and playing uh, and uh, it's something we don't have here in Serbia uh, because at that level be, and uh, we can say that the players start a bit late their rugby league careers in in Serbia but that doesn't mean anything I can I always use an example of uh, Vladica Nikolic who is now playing in France he started playing uh, rugby league really late. I think he was 18 years old when he touched the rugby league ball for the first time in his life, and he's now having a really good career in France. Mm. You talk about experts sort of coming in from abroad. Uh, our reserve team coach, Stuart Wilkinson, that was the head coach of, of Serbia at one point. Um, he, he talks about the Serbian national uh, team being good, and obviously lots of talent to, to, to look forward to. Uh, yes, I had a pleasure of meeting uh, him in person. We were co-commentating the game of a uh, national team game in uh, Montenegro, in Tivat, where under-21 Serbia team play, uh, played against national team of Montenegro. He, he, yeah, actually, this is a funny a funny story. What actually happened is, uh, and on one Serbian possession, he said, like, uh, this is the, the... He just uh, closed the microphone and told me in person, this now we're going to have a try for Serbia here and because I was live I couldn't say you want to bet it but he would want that bet because uh, Serbia scored there is potential here in Serbia definitely and um, I would maybe I would compare it to the NBA like here in Serbia people say that uh, only when players go to NBA they start reaching their peak potential and but if they stayed here that wouldn't happen I think that uh, uh, some of uh, some of our players, especially ju juniors, sh uh, should come to England to learn a bit, train with clubs there, and uh, bring that knowledge back, or stay there at that level. 
regarding the the general the level of play, I would just say something that a couple of our players noticed uh, when the, when we were watching uh, Scotland. They were like, and uh, that side that appeared on uh, World Cup defeated Serbia by uh, by sixty points, I think, or something or something like that. But actually, Serbia will play in European Championship A next season with against England, Scotland, the, the best clubs in uh, the best the best um, uh, sides in Europe and it, it will actually be a good test of what we discussed on how to bring the levels of the game in the mainland Europe and in the in the in the UK uh, it would be a it would be a really good test and I know that the Serbia national team is preparing hard for that on the other side I would like to mention one thing that I'm not sure how viewers in England are uh, are aware of that national teams uh, generally uh, when we are playing here around Europe are consist of the players that are playing in the national championship and around Europe but the rules of uh, national creating a national team basically allows you to bring people who have some descent of some country and what this is my personal take uh, and something I think that is really counterproductive to our sport is bringing 15 players from Australia who have never been to Europe to play for a national team because that's that's the way how you hamper your development development of your national team uh, from the player and your league in general and it's something that uh, brings the managerial work of, of, of federation to create uh, the opportunity. Uh, there are a lot of players of Serbian descent in uh, in Australia, Trbovic brothers, for example. Personally, I, I know that the, the Serbian side would have much more success. They would probably be on a World Cup and playing semi-competitive games if they could bring all the players of Serbian heritage to the national team. But I, I don't think it's something uh, uh, that will help because... I know that uh, I, I, I'm long. I'm in rugby league for more than ten years, and I can say that players train better and compete for their club better when they know that they're in consideration for for a national team. And uh, it's something to pay attention because it's um, what happened to Serbian side uh, when we are playing like against Greece or Italy, which are somewhere close to our rank. When they're when they're playing from the their players who are playing in their national championship and around. Europe, we win in a landslide. Mm. But for example, when we play, when they bring their side from Australian heritage players uh, who play in Australians in uh, NRL, we uh, we lose in a landslide. I think it's a real shame that Italy, uh, you know, bring these players in, and that sort of stops you developing because obviously you want to be playing against people who have sort of similar qualities and similar ability, don't you? But is is there any hope for like the Serbian national team to be able to to go and possibly get sort of Serbian Serbians who play rugby league abroad and bring them back constantly so they can sort of improve the the national game? They are working on that, but the insurances and costs of that are massive. We mentioned Greece, like uh, congrats, really congratulations to Greece on going to World Cup and playing there. But in 2019, when there was champion Red Star had the 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 draw in Balkan Super League to play both against. Uh, champions of Greece and one vice champions of Greece and the both victory was won by Red Star in a landslide I think 50 or 60 points difference Mm. and uh, when the Serbian national team plays against the Greek rugby league team from their players around here it's a landslide win as um, I'm to be honest I'm not sure 
what what's the best uh, option because uh, participating in a major competition like the World Cup always generates generates more interest. But I think I'm leaning closer to the option to invest those funds in uh, uh, in rugby league here in Serbia, bring a foreign coach, uh, create conditions for the players here to develop, put that uh, uh, limit of uh, players entering rugby league uh, from uh, like 15, 16, which is optimal age of of uh, majority of the players from joining rugby league here in Serbia, put it down to under 10, have under 9s, have under under 12s as, as the selections. And I think that uh, the voice is heard in Serbian Rugby League Federation, especially the under 16s, call it cadets as a yeah. selection. I'm not sure. It's, it's maybe Academy. under 19s. It's yeah, something yeah. like that. Under Between 16 and 19 yeah. uh, is, is the age where, where Red Star had like uh, two teams, but the other clubs they actually didn't have them. Right. So that that also creates those players are getting fed up of playing against the same guys and they uh, they they lose interest in rugby league. I think uh, of course the funds are limited here in Serbia, but if I was uh, having a decision making power, I would definitely I would definitely focus on that and work from there, which is actually good because our our federation invested a lot of money last season in uh, uh, under under twenty ones. Um, they played the Balkan tour playing against senior selection of uh, Bulgaria, Albania, Montenegro and Bosnia winning all the matches and it's definitely a good uh, a, a good way to uh, to develop it. Who are the star players from Red Star Belgrade we should be looking out for? Well, uh, our captain and um, our captain and uh, assistant coach Vojislav Dedic is definitely someone to pay attention. Mm-hmm. I can say that he's the best rugby league player in the Balkans, hands down. Also, Rajko Trifunovic is someone who, who is playing really well. Uh, he lost uh, like 15, pound, uh, 15 kilograms. Yeah, I'm not sure how much is that in pounds uh, this season. So now he's fast and full of energy and he was definitely... I think I said that after we won, uh, we lost the cup finals this year uh, he got a really nasty uh, hit uh, uh, to the to, to the head he was he had a concussion and the doctors didn't clear him to come back on the field and we we lost by two points and i think that uh, if he played he would be the, the the guy who made the difference how did your link up with Salford happen well to be honest we uh, we develop our network in rugby league uh, our general manager colin Klebeg, uh, who is, is doing so much for uh, for Red Star, and uh, he organized that deal with uh, with Salford. I, uh, it's uh, it's I think it's a good symbiosis because both clubs can benefit from this cooperation. We understood that uh, Salford already had a, a good deal in Ghana, and they want to make uh, ensure they're present in every. Uh, in uh, everywhere there, where the rugby league is played, Red Star is a global brand. Yes, uh, so I think that common in, uh, mutual interest uh, guide us. Uh, but also, uh, we what we appreciate at Red Star is a willingness to spread rugby league uh, uh, as a game and promote it everywhere. And we will always be a part of that. Yeah, it's ve- it's very exciting. Obviously, we're celebrating our hundred hundred fiftieth year. 
this 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 year, and obviously you being Red Star, sort of Belgrade being a, a big uh, European sporting sort of name, it's great that both clubs have got this sort of link up now to to, to help both grow. Yes, uh, I agree with that. Also, the Red Star has a lot of fans. It's something that one of the players noticed when when the our cooperation was announced. A lot of uh, Red Star fans from the UK kind of uh, started following Salford and uh, uh, approving of the deal and uh, the lot of Salford fans uh, followed Red Star and uh, started taking in, taking interest in, in what's going on here in Serbia. Yeah. What are your ambitions uh, for, for the future, um, you know, moving forward? We mentioned the European club competition. Uh, our ambitions is, as a club is definitely to work on that front. Um, our, uh, regarding uh, plans in Serbia, our club has a really strong uh, element of community where we're trying to build that. Uh, a lot of players are semi-professional. They work as uh, as their what their call is with the companies that uh, are connected to Red Star mainly. And I would use this opportunity to mention uh, Marina and uh, Colin Kleywig uh, in the in the companies where did which are owned by them, where they develop them. Uh, well, it's because in Serbia when you are semi-professional and you work somewhere else, it's really hard to make all the trainings and uh, and and games. And I, when I was a player, when I started playing for Red Star, we had problems like where our best players cannot come on a game right. <laughs> because of job. Yes, but uh, we plan on develop further develop on that front and to uh, expand our academy uh, to include more players because that's the only way how we can. Develop develop uh, as a club stating the competition in Serbia we uh, there are four major trophies in Serbia Serbian Super Cup Serbian Cup Balkan Super League and uh, Serbian Championship the the last two are definitely the most important ones uh, to win and we plan to defend our titles in both competitions as well Dedic would mention always be better than you were last season each every one of us of us of our players individually and we as a club in general we will continue development of our second team and that that's pretty much it yeah both clubs have embraced the power of blockchain it sounds like the both clubs want to use sort of technology to 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 invest it and to grow more the best uh, way to stay competitive uh, in rugby league is to uh, always improve and always innovate. Uh, blockchain and a good cooperation Redstar had with Blocksport is uh, something that uh, is giving us the edge and something, especially in the fan token department, is something that keeps our fans uh, engaged to what's going on in our club. We have our own club club app. We were the first rugby league club to get an app, actually, uh, and uh, spe- uh, spearheading the uh, spearheading the advance on that front is uh, something where we always uh, try to lead by example. I think that f- the fans loved it. The, the the whole tranche of the the, fro- the whole first tranche of Red Star token were. Uh, were sold out, and uh, we are now. We also have a have, a, have an NFTs, and I think that it's a good uh, it's a good way to develop to, to, to generally to keep fans engaged. Yeah, and obviously another kind of income for the club to allow it to grow, which is which is what both clubs need to go to that next level, don't they? Exactly. Generally, Serbia is not a rich country. No. It's really fine to, uh, for hard to find sponsors here in Serbia. We have luck that we started development of. Of our marketing way back and that uh, we have a lot of our friends abroad mm. uh, and uh, 
that kind of gives us a bit of uh, uh, breathing space compared to the other clubs in Serbia. And uh, we have a lot of fans in the UK, we have fans in uh, Australia. Adding one more revenue stream to the club's income list is something that uh, really helps fund all the expenses the club has. Yeah, and it's engagement with everybody. So it helps everything. If you, if you can... So we can both grow, sort of grow this because uh, sport is, is not just sport, it's business as well. So you need to be able to, to mix both sport and business to become successful. Yes, sport is an industry branch and it's considering around uh, uh, 2% of uh, global GDP mm. and it's uh, continu- rising, in continuity it's rising. The thing is that uh, even in rugby league as a sport, uh, is uh, when even if when you're not competing on the field, when you're competing off the field, uh, that that propel you forward. As I mentioned, we even compete for the kids' attention, for them to come and uh, train rugby league, and that actually is one of the uh, of unexpected gains through the uh, NFTs and the cryptocurrency engagement of red star is that that's something that the kids are interested in and maybe they'll pick a red uh, pick a rugby league instead of uh, basketball which is a national sport here in serbia only because they can be uh, uh, we, we are engaged in that cryptocurrency market yeah because the youth are the future out there if you can grab their attention and, and bring them into rugby league then the, then the sport will will grow i tell you what will grab people's attention the new shirts that have come out the joint shirts between salford and, and red star very very nice hopefully be purchasing some soon Yes, uh, I actually didn't manage to purchase one uh, because I was uh, continue being, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, but definitely as soon as this uh, interview is over, I'll do it again because I'll forget it. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, but the thing is, uh, that joint, uh, joint shirt is a good opportunity. There is a Serbian version and there is an English version, mm-hmm. and it's a, good, it's a good promotion of the cooperation of our clubs, and uh, a lot of, uh, like one of the big uh, Red Star uh, football fan group is called Red Devils, and uh, our, the, the connection of our clubs, uh, the, especially the color palette of our clubs jerseys, is really similar. I would definitely, I mean, I would definitely buy one uh, because uh, supporting the idea of cooperation of two clubs is is massive. Mm. I'll be honest with you, I like yours better. Well, get one. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to send you a link. <laughs> and, uh, I'm joking. The thing is, uh, the, the, the funny thing is that the lot of uh, the, uh, the merchandise as a concept uh, is. Um, we are actually now looking for a new merchandise uh, producer. We're in a, in a way of development of um, of our new club jersey, and it's a cool thing that you can actually listen. Uh, what you, when what we talked about the club tokens and uh, uh, and the app is that you actually can get the feedback from your engaged fans which type of jersey would they prefer. Because data is important. If you can engage with your fans, the fans will then tell you what you want, and you can mold your business plan to that. Exactly. Which is helps both both everybody helps the fans because they'll get what they want. The best way to be successful in the sports business is to uh, answer the needs of your fans mm-hmm. because they're after all they're everything uh, we have. Because uh, developing that uh, developing that fan base is is a golden rule for us. I mean, we, we, we are working hard on it, and we always respect the voice of our fans. And uh, we we all we, we receive a lot of messages on our social media from fans regarding different questions and we always try to have a personal connection with them and to answer all of their questions and ideas one of the 
funny yes, this is also a funny story the fans support when we, because when we are used to winning uh, uh, games doesn't mean that much i mean fan support is always important but when we lost the game uh, against partisan in the cup finals a lot of fans were like never mind you're gonna get up and uh, that support really uh, really cheered uh, our players uh, because Basically, on a training session, we said, come on, guys, look at how many people are answering to us and saying that we got this. Because it was Cup Finals, and then one week later, uh, or two weeks later, it was the uh, the Championship Finals. And we won the, we lost the first one, and we won the second one in a landslide. And fan support is something that, uh, that, that uh, helped us uh, get back on the horse, and, of course... Uh, uh, that's a two-way street. Uh, they were with us when we when we were not at our best, so they, we were with them after when they were celebrating. Yeah, before you, you talked about having other teams. Uh, we have a ladies' side and a, a physical disability side and a reserve team as well. Do, do you have similar with with Red Star? Yes, we uh, we developed uh, the female side. It was, I think, 2019, before COVID. And our girls uh, even played with the clubs from Greece and uh, uh, and Turkey. And it, it, it's, it's a good thing, actually, to have a female side for the club energy, for the supports, uh, and uh, for the attendance and training sessions. All of the trainings are separated. It's one after the other, so that they are socializing. And that's actually a good thing. I would... I would Specifically mentioned uh, success our our beach uh, uh, our uh, ladies side had in uh, beach tournament in Istanbul. They were competing uh, for a three years straight, and they they are close. Uh, they were like uh, third spot, fourth spot, and uh, it's de- they're definitely uh, competitive in that regard. Uh, of course, our best player is Yetsa Stoilkovic. She's the captain, and she was actually the MVP of the last tournament. Uh, oh, sorry, last year, not this year, mm. in, in in Turkey beach rugby. Uh, they are working hard on uh, making, uh, uh, getting their tickets for the um, World Cup in France, the next World Cup in France, and I think we'll we'll see them over there. You sound like you're a club that wins a lot. <laughs> well. Um... Yes and uh, yes and no. As I mentioned, we we were reformed in two thousand and six, yeah. and our first trophy came. I think it was two thousand fourteen or or fifteen. Uh, uh, we we we, tr- we work on uh, uh, on our victories, of course, but uh, our main focus is in development of our sport in general. As uh, the best way to to destroy a competition is start playing against the same clubs, and there is no new energy, so people definitely lose interest and I, I understand our fans who are saying like we keep you uh, we keep watching you playing against the same four five clubs and they want diversity when there is some uh, the this actually uh, uh, in it was in February the Balkan Super League finals in Montenegro it was a huge attendance and a big national TV was broadcasting the uh, the, the game and it, it, it's something when you have uh, when you have different clubs playing it get, it generates much more interest in yeah it's been an, an honor and a pleasure speaking to you uh, Nenad uh, good luck uh, in this season. Obviously, it's pre-season now. We're looking forward to 2023. Uh, yes, we are looking. Uh, now we have a break. There are no training sessions. Uh, players deserve it. And we'll be back to training um, uh, end of January. 
uh, beginning of February, and our first game is expected to be mid-February. It will be a Super Cup because Partizan has has won the Serbian Cup and we has won the Serbian uh, Championship. So we will clash uh, as a season opener at the beginning of 2023. Brilliant. Big thanks for joining us, and, and we'll speak again soon. Uh, thank you again for having me. Uh, I would uh, ask our fans uh, to go and uh, check our social media of our, of our clubs, follow us for more information, uh, check out the new jersey that, uh, that uh, joint jersey that's been launched for with Salford. And uh, of course, I would like to use this opportunity uh, to thank once again uh, to the management of Salford Red Devils. I think that uh, this cooperation will generate new rugby fans, uh, new Red Star fans in you can and new. Uh, rugby, uh, new Salford fans here in Serbia. Yep, yeah, so on the Sports Zone, we also talk about boxing. I'm joined by James Sweet, one of our boxing experts. James, obviously, 2023, uh, it's going to be a big year for boxing. You've got five big moments to look forward to. Give us your fifth big moment. Well, firstly, Rob, before I get on to the five moments, I mean, I think that's the first time in my life I've been referred to as an expert. Oh, well, you are, James, in boxing. In my eyes, well, thank you very much, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that means the world to me. I mean, it, it sort of validates my presence on the sports zone. This is it. But uh, to give you my number five, Rob, and it's a simple one, and I rant about this constantly, so I want it out of the way, because people don't want to listen to it. Less robberies. They're a massive issue in this sport. They ruin lives. People work their entire boxing existence into opportunities. For example, you know, Jack Cattrall against Josh Taylor, and so many others tireless hours in the gym, day and night, sweating, grinding, working towards the pinnacle of the sport to one moment to have it taken away from them by judges who are, uh, you know, at the very least incompetent, if not more. So this is something that needs to change the sport because ultimately as much as people think that this is good from the promoter's standpoint to, to give their star the decision, to give moment after moment to their the guy that they're pushing, you're missing out on an opportunity to make a star. And you're also turning the casual fan off. Because, I mean, for example, you, Rob, could watch a fight, see somebody get robbed and think, what's the point in watching boxed again? Yeah, it also has, all, very much has a murky underworld boxing of, of fight fixing. And uh, as a as a, a fan who, who watches the big fights, you don't want that to be dripped into the the, the sport and it upsets uh, everybody. And, and, that, and that's, the, that's the thing. Boxing is, is a good sport, but you want it to be clean, don't you, James? And that's the most important thing. It's being clean and, and, and keeping that enjoyment level up. Give us your number four big boxing moment of uh, 2023 to come. Well, talking about being clean, Rob, I want harsher punishments for drug cheats. I think if you're going to artificially enhance yourself, when getting into the ring, you deserve the punishments for that. I'm sick of people getting six-month bans, for example, because that's just a normal amount of time to spend out of the ring. It's not particularly abnormal. You're not sacrificing anything off the back of a six-month ban. I'm talking four-year bans, two to four-year bans for a first-time offence, depending on what's in your system, and a lifetime ban for the second offence. Is obviously, boxing is, is a really tough sport, and, and sort of boxers do look for that advantage, don't they? So I think it, it, it's very much, uh, you know... Clean is a big challenge for boxing because of all the you know the materials that that are available for the boxers, James. You know, and how how do you fix that? How how do you make sure that all boxers are clean? It's difficult. 
to make sure that every single box is clean, Rob. Firstly, I want anybody at any sort of level to be uh, signing up for the WBC Clean Boxing Programme, which gives testing all year round. And the fact that the way a lot of drug testing is done, Rob, is sometimes it's just on the night of your fight. Well, you could well and truly have cycled everything out of your system by the time you come into fight night. It, it, it is very easy for people to get around the system. I mean, even VARA predict that they, they don't really catch that many drug cheats to compare to how many are doing them. In the trade, they suggest that upwards of 90% of boxers are taking performance enhancing substances. And that's disgusting for the ones who work tirelessly to, uh, to get to the pinnacle of the sport without doing that. I mean, if you look at the UFC, for example, Michael Bisping, a fighter who always did it clean, he rose to the pinnacle of the sport and won his world title after the USADA era. The USADA is a United States anti-doping agency. Before that, he was struggling because uh, he was taking on drug cheats. When the stricter drug testing came in, he was able to become world champion because all those opponents that he was facing who were on drugs weren't able to take them as easily. So, so these are the important things that we need to know, Rob. There are ways that we can to do things and the harsher punishments I think will be more of a deterrent don't get me wrong people are still going to try and take performance enhancing drugs but I think less will if they know their career will be over if they get caught 2023 is going to be a big year for boxing give us your third big moments look forward to James less show clashes incredibly frustrating Rob you want to watch the boxing and then the main events clash I mean the other week we had Dillian White versus Jermaine Franklin going on at the exact same time as John Ryder versus Zach Parker and you have to sacrifice one to watch the other it's not good for the promoters it's not good for the fans it's ridiculous put shows on different nights therefore you can maximise the revenue from people attending the shows I mean those two particular I just spoke about there both occurred in London so people have to pick and choose usually a boxing fan could just go to, to both of them. So it's ridiculous to put them on the same night. And it's not good for the viewers at home who are having to switch between channels. You want your one night, watching your one show, and that'll do me. Is that not competition, though, James, between the two promoters wanting to gain the maximum amount of money to say, come and watch my show rather than their show? I suppose it's like different teams playing on, on different days. And sometimes teams play at certain times to make sure that they get the maximum revenue, don't they? Well, it screams ego, doesn't it, Rob? Yeah. They're wanting to say that my show is better than yours, come and watch mine. But ultimately, any way you want to slice or dice it, not every single boxing fan across the country is going to watch your show if there's two on on the same night, because some are going to go for the other show. So no matter what, you're missing out on revenue. Yeah. The second biggest moment in boxing in 2023, James, will be... I'd like to see Terence Crawford versus Errol Spence. The two best welterweights on the planet, Rob. Two best, arguably the two best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. My personal number one is Alexander Usyk. But Crawford and Spencer are undeniably up there. Crawford leaving top-ranked promotions to try and get the deal done. They failed. Crawford uh, clashed with David Avenician on the 10th of December. And now I'd like to see the pair of them go to war. Finally. We've been waiting years for this. And Crawford's 35 now, so I want this to happen before it's too late. I mean, obviously, these two fighters, you know, it, there, there is a kind of history of, in boxing where certain fighters kind of avoid each other, don't they? And do you think this might be one of them? I want this to be a fight that happens rather than doesn't happen. But we're running out of time for this to be the best version of the fight. Terence Crawford is quite a bit older than Errol Spence. And I don't want it to happen when he's too old and Spence walks straight through. I want it to happen now and we're running out of time, Rob. 
those balls with, with time. With boxers, do boxers run out of time? Because obviously boxers go on forever and ever, don't they? You know, uh, Riddick Bow and, and all that, fighting into the into the 40s. And I suppose you just want them to be young and athletic just for, you know, to, to, for the event to be uh, a magical one. Yeah, I mean, don't go wrong. I think it'll have a magic element no matter when it happens. I mean, we're still in a, a position of... Uh, of of, of, of when because we don't really have any sort of time period it really looked like it was going to happen before christmas and then january now it's looking like it might not even happen in 2023 and that would be bitterly disappointing to all these fans by which point if it's 2024 crawford will be 37 so that'll be incredibly frustrating and, and not good for anyone but as you say fighters do go on into the 40s some of the greats but it's usually the heavier weights as you mentioned riddick bow there they're able to keep their bodies ticking over younger the smaller fighters tend to peak earlier. Don't get me wrong, there are exceptions to the rule. Look how long Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao operated at an elite level for. But usually there's a ceiling there. Yeah. So the biggest moment in 2023 in boxing, James, is... We have to see Tyson Fury versus Alexander Usyk. There's no excuses for this now. Two brilliant fighters, and everybody was absolutely furious, me included, with Tyson Fury for taking on Derek Chisora. It was a pathetic fight, and he knew that. However... If he gives us the Alexander Usyk fight, he's redeeming himself in a sense. These are the two best fighters on the planet. Two, two men whose puzzles are almost impossible to solve. I mean, for both of them, it's like breaking the Da Vinci Code, isn't it? They are great, great fighters. Fury, massive, incredible movement, knows how to use it, fantastic feints, leaves opponents guessing, great in the mind games, but Alexander Usyk won't fall for them because he's a puzzle of his own. He moves so beautifully. His head movement is so fantastic. His feet are mesmerising. I truly believe that this fight is one for the ages. Pound for pound, Alexander is the best fighter in the world for me, but Fury's massive. At six foot nine, he knows how to use that size, so it's a fight that I can't wait for. Sure, would it not be Joshua and, and uh, Fury? I mean, it could be. That is a big one. But Usyk's beat Joshua twice. So, for me, there's no denying that these two men are the very best on the planet and we need to see it happen. I suppose you're talking about, uh, you know, how the boxing hierarchy is built up in it when someone like me, who is a, a casual boxing fan, wants to see Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua fight it out because they've been going about this for years. So, hopefully, in my eyes, in 2023, Tyson Fury and Joshua get together finally and, and we can see the fight level once. I mean, win or lose, Rob, Tyson Fury versus Anthony Josh was an absolutely massive fight. And after AJ's built back, I assume, against the likes of Philip Hergovich, Dylan White, etc., he'll be in prime position to, to take on Tyson Fury, win or lose. Because even if Tyson Fury falls short against Alexander Usyk, this is still a monumental British occasion. It'll fill out any stadium for Fury versus Usyk. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be amazing to see what happens in 2023 in the world of boxing. Big thanks for tuning this week's Sports Zone on Solve City Radio. I'm Rob Paxton, and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. <laughs>